Chapter 7 of Out of Death's Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Murphy, Richmond, Virginia. Out of Death's Shadow by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 7. Nick breathed heavily. The end was approaching. Chick's information told him that. We've got Leonard in a box, said Chick. We can drop on him right now if you say so. Now is not the time. We will wait until he comes out. Go up the stairs again, sit on the top step, and when Leonard enters his room, let me know. If he does not go to his room, but comes downstairs, follow him and inform me. I may be at the foot of the stairs when he leaves room M. I shall try to be there. Now go. The approach of an attendant caused Nick to cut short his talk and walk slowly away. Chick sat at the top of the stairs for nearly half an hour. Then Gabriel Leonard came out of room M, and with quick steps hastened forward. He stopped near the stairs and stood for a few minutes looking not at Chick, of whose existence he seemed to have no realization, but over and beyond him. Biting his lips nervously, he muttered, I've got to go, and turning, went to his room across the way. Chick noted with satisfaction that Leonard did not lock the door after entering the room. Nick stood at the foot of the stairs. Unobserved by Leonard, he had seen the manufacturer and knew that the time to strike had come. Up the stairs he went, and, walking over to Leonard's room, opened the door and stepped in. Chick followed. The door was closed quickly, and the key turned in the lock. Gabriel Leonard, sitting on his bed, glanced up when the two detectives entered, but without suspicion. But when the door was locked, he sprang to his feet, a wild fear in his eyes. "'What does this mean?' he demanded harshly, though his lips trembled and his body was shaking. "'It is time the masks were discarded,' replied the great detective soberly. "'I am Nick Carter, and this is my assistant, Chick. "'We've been on your trail ever since the inquest. "'Now we have found you. What have you got to say for yourself? "'What do you know in reference to the disappearance of John Dashwood?' "'The manufacturer's countenance was gray with terror when Nick began his speech.' But at the close, this expression had gone. He sighed as if with relief as the last word was spoken. I have laid myself open to suspicion, he said, as his wits began to return, but the time for concealment has passed. I am now ready to tell the truth, and the whole truth, and, his tone now became tinctured with acrimony, when I shall have done so, I hope for some consideration at your hands. You shall receive what you're entitled to, returned Nick coldly. I am not your enemy. I represent society, and I am the friend of John Dashwood. Leonard's face brightened, in spite of the detective's word and tone. Before I begin, he said, I wish to ask one question. Did you, or the chief of police, or any of his officers, search my house the other day? Yes. And found? Found your correspondence with Madame Rhee, five thousand dollars in notes a portion of the money philbon stole in which john dashwood took away that night and muddy trousers and a rust-stained handkerchief leonard exhibited no surprise i thought so he said then the whole story must be told yes repeated nick carter the whole story must be told the manufacturer resumed his seat on the bed nick and chick found chairs Nick sat near the door, with his back to it. 
chick sat on the other side of leonard and near the window well began the manufacturer the whole trouble took a start when this woman who called herself cora Reese, and my daughter wrote her first letter from san francisco i was not afraid of the embezzlement matter for i have paid up every cent i appropriated i was young and reckless in my california days but i repented when i grew older but i did fear an arrest for bigamy though god knows i thought i was a widower when i married my second wife here in st louis and you were a widower said nick quietly i know it cora Reese deceived you gabriel leonard's expression of astonishment at this statement was speedily succeeded by one of anguish he licked his lips and looked toward the wall with eyes contracted in pain deceive me did she he muttered brokenly what a fool what a fool i have been nick carter's cool gaze recalled leonard to the work of explanation which he had undertaken to do where was i oh yes i remember he spoke with his eyes on the floor the slight buoyancy with which he had begun his story was gone his words now came slowly and gravely i wrote to the woman that it might be well for her to come to st louis she acted upon the suggestion and came at our first interview she demanded fifteen thousand dollars as the price of her silence i did not have the money my affairs within one week had become badly involved some speculative ventures had proved utter failures but all attempts to induce the woman to wait were unavailing she did not believe me when i told her that i was on the brink of ruin and she threatened that if i did not have the money on a certain night to go the next day to a newspaper office tell her story and produce her vouchers the night set for the payment of the fifteen thousand dollars was the night of the disappearance of john dashwood leonard ceased speaking went to the water cooler in a corner drew a glass of water drank it and then returned to the bed i went uptown that night he continued without any definite thought of what i should do in front of the office the thought struck me that perhaps there might be sufficient money in the safe receipts after banking hours to stop the woman's mouth for a few days i had promised to meet her at midnight at her rooms in an apartment house on manchester avenue she had said that she would give me all day for the work of digging up the money and the day would end at twelve o'clock i went to the office and after opening the door and striking a light saw by the open desk and the open books that some one probably philbon had been there that evening upon one of the books lay a folded note addressed to me it was from john dashwood and it informed me that i had been robbed and that dashwood having recovered the stolen money twenty thousand dollars had placed it in his pocket for safe keeping imagine my feelings if you can twenty thousand dollars i did not think of my creditors then but of cora Reese. here was money with which i could pay her silence her mouth for ever i must find dashwood he had gone to seek philbon who would probably be found at home hurriedly i left the office found a car and got to philbon's house to discover that the lights were out i went around the house softly listened carefully at doors and windows but could hear nothing i might have aroused mrs philbon but i did not think it would be of any use besides i did not wish to disturb her unless it should be absolutely necessary to do so why i walked toward the water instead of toward broadway in the car line i do not know a hard fate controlled my movements 
he sighed heavily, and I went to meet trouble. On reaching the wharf I saw, at the water end, a man and a woman. Their backs were toward me, and they were talking, the woman angrily, the man calmly but firmly. The woman was Cora Reese, the man John Dashwood. I tell you Gabriel Leonard will approve, I heard her say. He is a bigamist, and he promised to pay me the money tonight. You will be doing him a big favor by handing it over to me. Before I do anything of the kind, I must have an authorization, Dashwood said, and so you will have to wait until tomorrow. I don't know what Mr. Leonard will do then, but I know what I would do if I were in his place. I would put you in jail for blackmail. I would defy you to do your worst. You would, would you? she hissed, and then I saw her arm shoot out. There was a knife in her hand, and she struck to kill, but owing to Dashwood's quick movement aside, only cut the flesh on his arm. But the force of the rush sent her forward past him, and her dress caught on a projecting broken piece of a hoop of a barrel, and she stumbled and fell, bringing the barrel with her. I was hurrying forward, Leonard went on, his voice now showing some animation, when I saw her arise with some heavy substance in her hand. It was a section of old iron pipe, which was within sight and reach when she fell. Before I could get to her, she struck John Dashwood, who was looking not at her, but at me at the time, a powerful blow on the head. I got to the scene to find Dashwood lying senseless on the planking, and Cora Reese busily engaged in searching his pockets for the banknotes. At my approach, she lifted her head. The notes were in her hand. So it is you, she said coolly. Very well, then for I here make acknowledgment that I have received the money agreed upon as my price for keeping silent regarding certain events in your past life. Without answering her, I bent over Dashwood and placed my ear against his heart. It was beating faintly. He might live. But I did not voice my hope to her. Instead, I said, You have killed him. I don't care, was her cold, heartless reply. And I am safe, she added quickly, for you will not betray me. You dare not open your mouth against me, for, if you do, I will tell my story and denounce you as the murderer. Again, imagine my feelings. I could not do as I wished, for I was in this terrible woman's power. I said, have no fear, I shall keep my lips closed. Good, was her response, and for your discretion I will give you five thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand will suffice for me. She counted out the money and handed it to me. I took the notes and put them in my pocket. Next, she gave me the documents which she had obtained in California. These I examined by the aid of matches, and, finding them to be as represented, I tore them up and threw the pieces in the river. When the woman had gone, my first impulse was to hunt up a policeman, have the nearest station notified, and John Dashwood removed to the receiving hospital. But, as I stood on the wharf, my eyes fell on Luke Philbon's boat. I wished to escape, if possible, the notoriety with which I must be invested if the assault became public property, of the danger to which I might be subjected if John Dashwood died. The sight of the boat suggested a way to avoid publicity. I could take Dashwood down the river to my friend Dr. Holcomb's sanatorium. There he would be properly treated and, while under treatment, I would be given time for arranging my affairs, preparatory to leaving St. Louis. "'And Dashwood?' asked Nick, 
asked Leonard Paws for a moment. Is the danger point past? Yes, the operation which restored his reason was performed this afternoon. He will live, he will have his mind. If you wish to see him, come with me. Leonard arose. Nick removed his facial disguise, unlocked the door, and the three men passed out. They entered room M to find Dr. Holcomb in the act of cleaning his instruments. The room was large, and beyond the bed was a large operating table. Upon it, his head propped by pillows, haggard and thin, but with the light of reason in his eyes, lay John Dashwood. End of chapter 7